Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Okay, have a wee seat, get comfy. If I missed you at the start of our service this morning, hello, nice to see you. You're so welcome with us here at Rehope Church. Whether you are here today for the very first time or you're here all the time, I don't believe that you're here today by accident. I am trusting and believing and praying that God is going to speak to you and do a good thing in your life this morning. I just want to pray for you again as I begin. Let's pray. I bless you this morning in Jesus' name to know his peace today, to be calm in your innermost being, to feel hope when you think about your future, to press on where things feel difficult, to understand more fully God's unfailing love for you and find rest in that, and to hear his voice today in a way that is clear and helpful and leads you forward. Amen. Well, church, it is July. And so we're going to do that thing where we all act shocked that it's already July. And we think, oh, it's nearly Christmas. How can it be? Halfway through the year, it's July. It's officially summer. This means a few things. It means we are going to talk about the weather all the time. Because even though We should know by now what we're in for. We will hope against all hope for better than we are getting right now. Summer means that people like Gus Sterrett are going to start barbecuing, and they're not going to stop until at least November. Summer might mean that you take a holiday, and you come back lovely tanned and glowing. It might mean that you have a little bit more time for some rest and relaxation. It might mean that we're looking at your Instagram, and we're all sorely jealous of what you're doing this year. If you have small children at home, then we bless you in Jesus' name this summer. I love summer with my whole heart. I think spring is my favorite season, but only because in spring, summer hasn't happened yet. And I'm that person that once we're in summer, I'm like, no, it's ending. It's ending. Winter's coming. I love summer with my whole heart. And all of my favorite memories of summer are basically spent in the same way. They're spent like this, around a campfire. I love a campfire. Is there anything more glorious than a good campfire? No, is the answer. Let me tell you why. Campfires mean friends. You don't have a campfire by yourself. If you do, it's just a fire. You have a campfire. It's all the friends, all the time. It's glorious. That's where I want to be. Campfires also mean s'mores. It means putting stuff on sticks, setting it on fire, and then eating it. It's glorious. It means sandwiches made out of chocolate biscuits, and that's allowed. I love a campfire. It also means stories. I want all the deep chat all the time, okay? I want to know your thoughts, your feelings, every little iota of your story. And when you get to a campfire, it's like a switch is flicked and it just comes out. And it's great. This summer, we are going to press pause just for a moment on our Moses series. You'll have noticed that last week. But for the next few weeks, we're going to look at Paul just for a little bit. And as we do, I want it to feel like this. 
I want it to feel like this because there's a chance over the summer, there's a chance here at church over the summer that as we kind of, as people go in and people go out and people are on holiday and people are apart for whatever reason and the rhythm's a bit different and our schedules are a bit different, there's a chance that we all feel a bit disconnected and it's like, okay, we're all kind of, church is on a bit of a hiatus and then we'll come back in the autumn. There's a chance that we all feel a little bit distant from each other and apart, but I want us to feel, for the next few weeks, I want us to feel like we're gathering in around what God is saying, almost like we're at a campfire together. Because I want God to speak to you. I want him to send you out. I want him to encourage you. And I want you to go out into what he's calling you to from a place of being encouraged by his goodness and by his love. Campfires speak to me of God's glory and his presence. And just like with a fire, with God's glory, with God's presence, with what he's speaking, we have a choice as to whether we sort of hang back around the edges or whether we draw in and get close. I want us to gather in around that glory for a few weeks as we look at Paul's life. But I don't want us to go home thinking that Paul was really great or thinking that Paul was some epic, unreachable hero of the faith, although he was pretty class. I ultimately don't really want us to go home thinking about Paul at all. I want us to look at Paul and then wonder at what Jesus can do with a life laid down. I want us to go home not like head knowledge filled with theory or a formula or a strategy about what that might look like, but I want us to go home like wearing it like smoke. <laughs> like we don't even need to, we don't need to think about it. We don't need to try to remember it because actually we can't shake it off because the Holy Spirit has done something in us that we're going to wear that going out of here. We're going to be different. Going through the New Testament this time in Bible read through, I have found myself just totally captivated by Paul's life. And if I had to pick one wee bit that just got me and is sort of like the epicenter of the next few weeks for me, it's this bit in Acts chapter 19, verse 11. We read, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to those who were ill and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Wait, what? God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to those who were ill and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Miracles are miracles. Miracles are by definition extraordinary events, but God did extraordinary versions of extraordinary things through Paul. And we read in this bit, not for Paul, although he did, and not seen by Paul, although he would have seen them, but through Paul. People healed by hankies through Paul. The world says an extraordinary life. If you want one of those, it's probably, you know, filled with incredible experiences. Maybe you will gather incredible wealth for yourself. Maybe you'll be a genius. That would be an extraordinary life. Maybe you'll have an epic love story. That would be extraordinary. But then we look at the Bible and we look at people like Paul all the way through and we see, okay, an extraordinary life according to the Bible doesn't look like that. And the good news is it also doesn't look like living without fault or being on a constant upwards trajectory or never feeling discouraged or never having to go through hard things or always striving or always saying the right thing or always being the best version of ourselves in public. Extraordinary lives, according to the Bible, were lives that were vessels for God's grace to flow through. And if vessels is too Christian-y a word, which it kind of is, but I don't really know what's better. When I was thinking about it this week, I'm thinking like funnel, God's grace flowing through. I'm thinking 
Our lives are like the cracker, he's the cheese, right? It's just to carry the goodness, carriers of God's grace. And I'm not going to lie, truthfully, sometimes I would like an extraordinary life like the world says is extraordinary. I would love to win a lot of money. I would love a love story that rivals the notebook but isn't sad. (laughs) But then I read verses like this one in Acts chapter 19. And I read of extraordinary miracles through a man. And I think of my family who I love, who don't know God, and how good it would be to pray for their healing and see them healed of things that don't get healed because God did it. How good that would be. I think of my friends who don't know God and how they're desperate for direction and clarity and answers that I don't even know about and how good it would be to hear God for them and not just hear him generally, but hear him in a way that is specific and hits the mark and shows them that he's real and that he loves them. How good that would be. I think of people I know in Partick, I think of our community who feel trapped in their circumstances and how amazing it would be to walk the streets of Partick and see people just set free. If God can do it through a hanky, then maybe he can do it through me. We came into this year with a vision for evangelism. We want to share Jesus. We want to see people come to know who God is, come awake to that. I want to see people come to know Jesus. I want to make Jesus known through my life. But I look at Paul and I see an even more wonderful way where God is making himself known through a holy life just given to him. I want that sort of extraordinary life where I know God and I go to heaven when I die, yes, where I stand firm in the faith even when things are difficult, yes, that is not to be sniffed at. But more than that, I want to become over time an arrow in God's hand that he uses against the powers of darkness in my days. For the next few weeks, we're going to look closer at the context of that Acts 19 scripture, which is fully embedded in Paul's totally surrendered life before God. And the good news is that if God can use Paul, God can use us. Because Paul wasn't superhuman, where we look at Jesus on earth and we think, yes, Jesus shows us humanity. He shows us perfect humanity. Paul was a pastor figure. He was a spiritual father to many, but he was a person. He was a person with a complicated inner world. And that is refreshing. I'm going to look at Romans 7 here briefly because in Romans chapter 7, we basically get to read his diary because he wrote it down for us. He writes this in Romans 7, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Look at Paul here, this tug of war in his soul, his confusion at his own heart. 
his very real delight in God, but also the tension, the pull he feels, that uncomfortable pull he feels on the inside. Maybe you know all too well what that feels like. I know I do. Between truth and lies, between fear and what God is leading me into, between frustration and gentleness, which is a fruit of the Spirit, between what I am craving and between what God wants to do in basically every area of my life. Paul says there's a war waging within him and the struggle is real. When I thought about this this week, I thought of Russian dolls. I used to obsess over these in my nanny's house when I was younger. Anyone had a had a set of these or access to them? Yeah, I used to like stack them together, pull them apart, open them up, put them back in, get the littlest one out because it was the cutest, obviously, put them all back in, make the big one, eat the little ones, all the things. When I thought about this, this week and what Paul describes here, I think of myself like a Russian doll with another one inside me. And it's there, my sin nature, it's there. It's not always super visible to everyone else, but it's there and, and the inner struggle is real. But then, if I'm like the middle doll, I think about the incredible mystery of me, all of me, being put inside Christ, covered by Jesus. Paul writes, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And goes on to say, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in chapter 8, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So if you've given your life to Jesus, a tie has been cut. That thing that's in us, it doesn't rule us anymore because we're in Jesus. The sin in me has been condemned. It's dead and dying. And I get to live in Christ, free, covered by his righteousness, like a Russian doll on the outside of me, and then sanctified by his spirit, like a Russian doll inside of me, made righteous, made perfect, made to be like God over time. Jesus beat sin and death because he was able to, and I just get to be covered by that. I get to be in on that. So Paul knew Like we can know that it matters less what's inside of us than it does who we are inside of when we give our lives to Jesus. I'm reading a book about Hudson Taylor just now. He was a missionary to China and he wrote to his sister in the midst of very real need. He wrote this, oh my dear sister, it is a wonderful thing to really be one with a risen and exalted savior, to be a member of Christ. Think what it involves. Can Christ be rich and I poor? Can your right hand be rich and your left poor? Or your head be well fed while your body starves? His resources are mine, for he is mine, and he is with me and dwells in me. So Paul's just a person. Hudson Taylor, just a person, but a person in Christ. I love that as you read through Acts and Paul's letters, you get to see his realness. You get to see a wonderful balance between how we don't need to hide our brokenness or hide from our brokenness to be used by God, but also Paul doesn't really put up with it either. He doesn't camp out in it, but we face it, we surrender it, we humbly walk into whatever arena God calls us to, not as perfect people, but perfectly picked for it. Paul's a prime example of this. He's hand-picked by God. He has the perfect education that he needs. He has the Roman citizenship he needs. He has the perfect blend of Greek cultural know-how and Old Testament knowledge to argue that Jesus is the Messiah to both Greeks and Jews alike. No coincidences there, but rather God has fine-tuned his life 
Not so that he can be extraordinary, but so that he can reveal God's goodness in extraordinary measures. God has fine-tuned your life for that. Here at Rehope, we are ascending church. We want you to go, but we also want you to stay because we love when you're here. We're so torn when that happens because we want you to go. We want people to follow God into whatever he's leading them into in their lives. So you'll notice here that there's a, a sort of open swinging door all the time of people coming in and people going out. That's who we are, it's who we want to be. I believe we are in a significant moment even right now of God calling people into things, into their next things, into their future things. Maybe that's just because of who we are as a church. We meet people at those crossroads moments, but I do think there's a particular thing happening right now. And if that's you, if that's the season that you're in, then I bless you in Jesus' name to hear him and to know how to walk into those things. You might be surprised where God calls you. I know I've been incredibly surprised. I think I could have been a really happy academic for God's glory. I could have been successful by my own metrics and then pointed up at the end. But I know that God's called me into things where I feel small and where I feel in so much need of his help and his wisdom and his grace every day because he didn't make me ultimately to be big and great and wonderful. He wants to show himself through my life. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. And we want that. I want that. But for miracles to flow through like one Russian doll inside the other, we need to be in Jesus and we need to remain in Jesus is what the Bible teaches. So that what we're doing, he's doing. What he's doing, we're doing. If we jump back to Acts 19 briefly, um, we see the warning about doing without remaining. It reads in 14 to 16, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this, trying to get rid of evil spirits. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. These sons of Sceva aren't in Jesus, but they go around using his name. They get absolutely trampled on by an evil spirit. I have to be in him to do what he is doing. Paul has maybe the most epic conversion story of all time. He is totally transformed in what seems like an instant. He has all the dramatic moments. A man dies or falls out a window while listening to him and dies and then he brings him back to life. Like he has all those dramatic moments and yet the substance of his life is continued faithfulness in the same direction. Jesus says to his followers in John 15, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The sons of Sceva tried to do the things of God apart from God. It didn't work. For us, it's maybe more subtle. We're maybe not trying to drive out the evil spirits all the time in that way, but we might wander walk away from God's will for our lives, do our own thing. Maybe we outright disobey. Maybe we slowly or suddenly just let something else take first place for us. Maybe we just delay our obedience, but we end up off track and we wonder why things feel off. We wonder why our peace is gone or why we're not hearing God the way that we want to. To remain is to continue, which is to stay meaning it's not one and done. It's not like dive in the pool. Great, you're in. It's like wade into the water and keep wading 
for a lifetime, wade through disappointments, wade through doubts, wade even onwards, even in the moments when you feel like you disagree with what God wants or with how he thinks things should be, keeping on wading through faithfully into the deeper things of God for a lifetime. It means continued close communion with Jesus, which means togetherness, sharing of thoughts, so that he speaks you follow. If he redirects you, you obey him. If he says, no, this isn't it, you honor him. If he speaks a different word to the world, you respect that. The Bible loves to talk about fruit. This passage is just one of many that talks about fruit. And good news is, I'm encouraged that good news that fruit grows off young trees and mature trees. But, not to state the obvious, but to state the obvious, all fruit has to grow from seed to small fruit, to big fruit, to harvest. Fruit doesn't instantly generate unless you're in a video game. So just like Jesus says in John 15, if we are a branch, we're a branch, I'm a branch, and we disconnect at any point, no matter how maybe fruitful we've been or how fruitful we could be, if we disconnect from the vine, then we won't bear fruit. Growth will be stunted, things will die. When I look at Paul, I see how staying in Christ unlocks the extraordinary things of God. Okay, so I want that life. We might want that life. What are the sorts of, what are the signs that we are remaining in Christ? What does that life look like? We're going to look at that a little bit more over the next few weeks, but four first thoughts that I had this week. And I've deliberately noted these in the first person so that we can kind of go through it as like a personal checklist to think, okay, is this true of me? And if not, then do I need to chase after some closeness with Jesus? Number one, I'm captivated by the gospel. Time with Jesus, daily opportunities to trust him because we need to trust him, that breeds confidence in him. It breeds our assurance of him. Paul met Jesus in a powerful way. He didn't know God and then he knew Jesus like that. And he goes from murdering Christians to preaching the gospel instantly. He didn't believe that before. But then he knew Jesus and it changed him. He was captivated by the gospel. If we've grown cold, then it's probably time to check in on that closeness to go closer. Number two, I'm sent by the Holy Spirit. All the way through Acts, Paul is sent by the Holy Spirit. Both like big picture of his life, he knows that he is sent by the Spirit to preach the gospel to Gentiles, but also like every day, basically, here and there. And okay, he's sent with this person. He's sent alone. He's told to stop. He's told to speak. He's told whatever, all by the Holy Spirit daily in his life. If we are in Christ, then we share his thoughts. We're tuned into his spirit. And so when he says, go, when he says, speak, when he directs us, we hear him, we follow him. Number three, I am acutely aware of how God is helping me. Chances are, if we're in Christ and we are being sent by the Holy Spirit, then we're finding ourselves in places where we know we need God's help, where we can't do it by ourselves. We can't speak to that person by ourselves. We can't quit that job by ourselves. We can't move to that place or say yes to that thing by ourselves. We need God's help. Acts 14 reports how Paul and Barnabas says this, they spoke so effectively, so effectively, that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. And yet Paul himself reports on his preaching in 1 Corinthians saying, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He says in 2 Corinthians, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That's why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships, persecutions, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I am weak, but my Russian doll is inside Christ and he is strong. And so his strength in my weakness becomes the testimony of my life. Finally, if we're in Christ like Paul was, then I'm unhindered by the unideal. The end of Acts is intense. Don't know if you've noticed, but it's basically the Pirates of the Caribbean in the Bible. There's storms and shipwrecks and nighttime visitations from God and spider bites and everything in between as Paul follows a word from God to go and testify in Rome. He finally gets there and he's a prisoner. He's not given his freedom. And then the book basically ends with Paul under house arrest in a wee Airbnb. It says for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul knew God had called him to preach the gospel in Rome. So he preached the gospel in Rome without hindrance. It's not ideal. Circumstances aren't ideal. And yet, also in the details we see, God makes a way for him to have his own space, for him to live alone. He can welcome anyone who comes to see him. He can teach about Jesus with boldness in that place. If we wait for the ideal, if I wait for the ideal, sometimes we won't see the wood for the trees. We won't see what God has provided because I'm staring at that lack that I feel or we won't see how God has made a way straight before us because we're only looking at the thing that we haven't seen him do yet in our lives. We might cap what God wants to do through us because we're waiting blinkered for him to do something for us when in reality he can do this on the way. Even when we feel the rub of the not ideal circumstances of our lives, if we're in Jesus like Paul was, we can still follow Jesus into our purpose unhindered. If you would like what the Bible calls an extraordinary life, I hope you can feel encouraged today that you don't need to be extraordinary and you don't need to do extraordinary things. And yet the call on our life is extraordinary because it's one of less of us and more of him. And to the world, that's really weird. And it doesn't really make sense. And yet that is the way that God will have his kingdom come in our times. It's through his people in that way. We pray for revival. Every week at pre-service prayer, I pray for reawakening. I pray for revival. And I'm not going to lie. There's part of me that's just like, Jesus, do it already. Isn't this a prayer you want to answer? Like if you don't want to see people in our, in our city come to know who you are, then what prayers do you want to answer? But then I look to the Bible and I look to revivals in human history and I know God's never changed. So I look at believers in those moments and I look at Paul and I look at Peter, I look at Stephen, old women in the Outer Hebrides praying day by day, day by day, totally surrendered lives. I look at believers in those moments and then I think, okay, God, what's my place in this story? as you bring revival to my city. What's my place in this story? And to be honest, I shudder a little at that sometimes <laughs> because it's not a small thing to lay your life down for God to flow through you and do things through you, but it's exciting what he could do if I release it to him, if I remain in him. Crooksy mentioned last week about how it can be helpful to break the big things down into smaller chunks as we follow Jesus. And so to break it down today, I think the first step for us this summer can be whether this has been like your whole life so far and you've done this a million times or whether this is brand new, 
We can do a first thing today, which is just a, a simple but profound prayer of surrender before God. And so the challenge this morning is this. We're going to pray in a moment and just ask, Jesus, what are your dreams for my life? I'm just going to move my own aside for one moment, knowing that you're good, knowing that you've given me desires, <laughs> but I'm going to release those for a second. and I'm going to ask, Jesus, what are your dreams for my life? What do you want to do through me today? Let's just take a moment to listen right now before we move on. If you want to close your eyes, if you want to bow your heads, old school style, it helps us just to pay attention for a second. Holy Spirit, would you help us today? Would you speak to our hearts? Jesus, we turn to you as our Lord, as our friend, as a perfectly trustworthy one. What are your dreams for my life? What do you want to do through me? Maybe there's a place, a people group, a sphere of influence we have or will have, a gift you've given me by your spirit. Bring those things to mind right now, Lord, as we listen to you. God, where you've called us in the past, would you remind us right now? Even just sense that there's things God's spoken to you when you were a teenager, when you were young. For some of us, would you remind us? And God, if you're speaking right now or reminding us of something or speaking something new, Holy Spirit, would you breathe on that moment? Help us to take hold of it. Make it a core memory so we don't forget. And if not, Jesus, would you plant a seed? Would you help us to start dreaming of what an extraordinary life in you could look like for us? Remind us of your love, that we're your children, that we don't need to earn anything but Jesus, you can flow through our lives for your glory. And then if you mean it this morning, you can just pray something simple like, Jesus, my life is yours, just in the quiet. My life is yours, Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know God for yourself or you've never given your life to Jesus, but you would like to, I'm just gonna pray something simple right now and you can pray along with me. And that's just the beginning of a really fun journey. It's not one and done, but it's a good place to start. Jesus, I need you. I choose to follow you today. I give my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Wash me clean. Make me new and help me to live for you all the days of my life. God, show me my next steps. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your peace. Amen.